Thank you for joining us today for this life-changing message from River of Life. If you are ever in our area, we would love for you to join us. For more information, visit us at rolcrawfordville.com. That's rolcrawfordville.com. Or download our app in the App Store under ROL Crawfordville. Now, let's join Derek Gray as he teaches from the Word of God. Find your seats. We will go ahead and get started. I want to welcome everybody to our Wednesday night Bible study. We are uh, going through the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Matthew chapter 5 through uh, chapter 7. And uh, this is about our fourth week, so we have made it tonight to Matthew chapter 5 and verse 5. And the title of our lesson is A Portrait of the Meek. A Portrait of the Meek. I was watching a, a YouTube video this week couple days ago, and on the YouTube video, it was an interview uh, with Joel Osteen and, and Oprah Winfrey. And they were talking about a few things, and, and Oprah, she made this statement. She said, what kind of God would want you to be poor and miserable? And I, and I went and I wrote that down, because that is the, that's really the, the way the, the world thinks. They automatically equate being poor with being miserable, and they equate being rich with being happy. But as we said a couple weeks ago, you will never find happiness in money or relationships or pleasure or entertainment or in career or any of those kind of things. You know, you listen, I've had a little and I've had a lot more and, and, and none of that makes any difference to how happy you are. And I said it, I don't care how good things are, happiness always, true happiness seems to be just, just out of your reach. You just can't quite get to it. So why is it that these things don't make us happy? Well, the reason they don't make you happy is because none of those things change who you are on the inside. Happiness, it comes from uh, an inner contentment. It comes from the inside, and those things are just on the outside of you. In fact, listen, I, and I can't prove this, but I really think that having more of something just magnifies your character flaws. If, let me give you an example. If you're selfish when you're poor, and then you get a lot of money, guess what you still are? You're still selfish. Having a lot of money doesn't change who you are on the inside. It just exacerbates your character flaw. If you're single and selfish, guess what happens when you get married? You're still selfish. You don't just magically change who you are overnight. And so, uh, again, they reveal, those kind of things just reveal who you really are. But now the Christian is different. The Christian is different. And we are different for one very, very important reason. In Ezekiel 36, 26, God says this, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put inside of you. So as a Christian, we're not just influenced by the things on the outside like the world is. We are a new creation. We have a new heart. We have a new ways of thinking, new ways of feeling. We've actually got new uh, character traits. Now, this is the person that Jesus is describing in the Beatitudes. Okay, When he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, and, and blessed are those who mourn, and blessed are the meek, this is the person. He's not describing the world. He's describing this new person, this new creation. And it is a person with new ways of being happy, 
We don't have to chase happiness and money and career and relationships and entertainment and pleasure. We have a new way of being happy. Now, a couple weeks ago, we started in walking through the Beatitudes. And the first thing he said is, happy are those who are poor in spirit. And what we talked about is what this means is that someone who's poor in spirit has finally gotten off the treadmill of always trying to do more to gain God's approval and to gain God's love. If I could just do a little bit more, be a little bit better. The poor in spirit have got off that treadmill and, and they realize that we are, you are spiritually bankrupt, that you bring nothing to the table when it comes to God, that literally we just come to God as a beggar with our hand out asking for mercy. And then last week, we looked at the second beatitude, happy are those who mourn. And what we found was when it talks about mourning, it's talking about grieving over our sin. You see, the Christian is someone who never makes friends with sin. We don't get comfortable with sin in your life. Show me a person who's comfortable with their sin. I'll show you a person that's not a Christian. You cannot be a Christian and, 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 not, and, and somehow make friends or be comfortable with your sin. In fact, Romans 7, this is, this is the Christian right here. By the way, Christians are still sinners. We just don't like it. We still sin, but we're certainly not comfortable with it. In Romans 7, Paul says this in verses 15 through 19. He says, I don't understand what I'm doing. Because I do not do what I want, and I do the very things I hate. That's a Christian. That's exactly what a Christian is. Yes, we make mistakes. Yes, we sin. But we hate it. And we grieve over it. And if you're one of those people that, that do that, then Jesus says, blessed are you. Happy are you. Now, tonight, we come to the third beatitude. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the Earth. Now, I want to say two things about this beatitude before we get very far into it. The first thing I want to say, out of all the beatitudes, this one hurts the most. Okay? I mean, this one is going to hurt, so you might as well just get ready for it. You're not going to like what it has to say. This one is going to be painful. And here's why. In the first two beatitudes, where G Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, and blessed over are those who mourn or grieve over their sin. In those two beatitudes, I'm looking at myself. Everybody with me? I, I'm looking at myself and I'm saying, man, I'm, a, I'm spiritually bankrupt. I'm a sinner. I, I'm grieving over my sin. I'm, I'm looking at myself. I'm judging myself. But when we come to the third beatitude, that all changes. Now, other people are looking at me. And other people are looking at me and they're saying things about me and they're judging me and they're acting in ways toward me that I don't like. How will I react to those people? That's what this beatitude is all about. So the first beatitudes, you know, they're not, I'm not saying they're easy to admit you're a sinner and grieve over your sin. But this one is all about how do you react to other people when they do or say or act towards you in ways that you don't uh, like. Now, the world, we think in terms, every single one of us here, we tend to think in terms like strength and power and self-assurance and self-confidence. In fact, let's be honest. Don't we even teach our children to assert themselves? Do we? Do we teach our children to stand up for themselves? 
That, that's how we think. That's our natural. Nobody wants a, a milk toast for a kid, right? That people just walk all over. Who wants that? So we teach our children, stand up for yourself, assert yourself, express yourself, right? We want them to be self-confidence and all of those things. Listen, meekness is the opposite of that. It's the opposite of that. And you're probably thinking right now, wait a minute, you're, are you going to be telling us that we shouldn't stand up for ourselves and we shouldn't assert ourselves? That's exactly what I'm going to tell you. And already you don't like it. Already you're thinking, now wait just a minute, that doesn't, that doesn't sound right at all. Well, we'll get to that in just a minute, but I want to say something. Should it surprise us that God wants to do it differently from the way that we think it ought to be done? Does that surprise anybody that's a Christian that's ever read the Bible that God's ways are not our ways? I've often said, if my first thought is to do it this way, it's probably wrong. It's probably a good, good, a good idea to go to the Bible and see what the Bible says about it because His ways are not like my ways. So it shouldn't surprise us that God would do it differently from the way that we think that it should be done. Let me give you an example. In Judges chapter 6... God calls a man named Gideon. And Gideon is, nobody knows who he is. He's from the tribe of Manassas, which is the least of the tribes of Israel. And then he says in his own words, my family is the least of that tribe, so I'm the least of the least. And God calls Gideon. He says, I want you to raise up an army, and I'm going to use you to defeat this, uh, this people called the Midianites. So Gideon does what God says. He raises an army. He gets 32,000 men. Now, that's good, right? I mean, if you're going to get an army, let's get an army. He gets 32,000 men. God comes to him and says, you got too many people. you got, you got too many warriors. you got too many, you got too many men. And the reason God said that, he said, because if you win with that many men, then the people of Israel will say, well, look what we did. God said, that's not the way it's going to happen. So the first thing he does, he says, tell everybody that's scared to go home. And so they say, everybody's scared, go home, and 22,000 of them turned around and split. <laughs> I mean, just split. They didn't even look back. I mean, they're just gone. And he's got 10,000. And you're like, okay. And God says, no, still too many. He says, send them down to the water, and everybody that, that drinks like a dog, those are the men we want to use. He ends up with 300. That's 1% of what he started with. Now, the folks, listen, that makes no sense to the natural mind. Because if you're going to get an army, get an army, right? If you're going to dominate, let's dominate. Why would you go from 30,000 to 300? But that's exactly what, because God, God says, I will get the credit. Here's the thing. When it comes to you and I fighting our battles, God's not at all interested in you doing it. He wants to get the credit. It, it, he doesn't change. He wants to get the glory. And if you fight it, and you'll say, well, look what I did. I, I took care of that situation. God's not interested in that at all. He wants to do it a different way. So meekness, as we're going to learn tonight, it's a beautiful thing. But boy, does it hurt. Because it goes against everything that's inside of us. It goes against everything that says, this is the way I ought to do it. This is why, by the way, meekness can only be produced by the Spirit of God. You'll never produce it in your own life. In fact, Paul in Galatians chapter 5 says this, 
But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and that word gentleness, that is the exact same Greek word that Jesus uses when he says, blessed are the meek. It's the same word. Sometimes it's translated meekness. Sometimes it's translated gentleness. But it's the exact same word. It is a fruit of the Spirit. It's something that the Spirit produces in our life, not us ourselves. So that's the first thing about this beatitude is that it's painful. The second thing about it is it is probably of all the Beatitudes, it is the most misunderstood. And here's why. The reason it's misunderstood is because the word meek has changed its meaning over the centuries. If you go back to the 12th century, the word meekness in Old English was M-E-K-N-E-S-S-E. That's the way they, they spelled it back then. And it basically meant having the virtue of humility, being humble. And then in the early 13th century, it kind of changed to mean the softness of temper or, or gentleness, like we just said. And then by the mid-13th century, it meant forbearance under injuries or, or provocation. Um, so, by, by the way, the first uh, Bible, uh, the first chapters of the verses and of, the, of the Bible, let's go back. The first books of the Bible were translated into English around 1380. So this is what the word meant back then, back then when, when it said, blessed are the meek. So meek basically means gentle. If you look up the definition of gentle, it's a, it's a refusal to take control by force or manipulation. Here's, here's the way I like to say it. It's somebody that has the power to do something, but they choose not to. Everybody with me? That's what meek and gentle means. It doesn't mean you're a coward. It doesn't mean you're a doormat. It doesn't mean any of those things. It means you, you've got the ability and the power, sometimes even the want to, to retaliate, but you choose to say no. I like that picture there, and I, I put that up there. It's, it's a great example of gentleness. That lioness has all the power to just bite that little cub in half, but she doesn't. She restrains herself purposely. That's gentleness. That's meekness. By the way, those definitions of meek are still the primary definitions in, in uh, dictionaries today. I went up and looked up a couple of them. The American Heritage, if you go look up meek, the very first definition is showing patience and humility or being gentle. The Merriam-Webster Dictionary says this, enduring injury with patience and without resentment. But over time, the word meek has taken on much more negative connotations. Most people today, and, and my guess would be even most people in here, if I just walked up and said, what do you think of when you think meek? Most people would say, well, I think of things like being timid, being weak, being a, a, a doormat, letting people walk all over you. That's what most people think of when they think of being meek. In fact, those definitions are now in the dictionary. If you go back to those same two dictionaries and you look up the word meek, the second definition uh, in both of those cases are similar to these. For example, the American Heritage says easily imposed on, submissive. Merriam-Webster is even worse. It says this, deficient in spirit and courage. You know what that means? If you're deficient in courage, it means you're a coward. So the word meek has actually made its way into the dictionary. It didn't mean that in the 12th century, in the 13th century, in the 14th century. But today, people think of meek and they think of a coward. 
So when we come tonight and we say, blessed are the meek, many of you may be thinking, well, he's saying blessed are the, the timid. Blessed are the doormats. Blessed are, are cowards. But here's our problem. Jesus said that he was meek. In Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, Jesus said this, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek. Now, the, here's the thing. This is the man who defied the Pharisees. Th this is the man who, one of my favorite stories in the Bible, walks in a synagogue, opens a scroll of Isaiah, reads it, closes it up and says, This day, this scripture is fulfilled in your ears. And they tried to kill him. He knew exactly what was going to happen, and he did it anyway. This is the man who walked into the temple and saw the money changers and literally overturned their tables, made a scourge, and drove them out of the temple. Listen, I don't know about you, but I would never describe Jesus as timid. Never describe him as weak. I certainly would never describe him as cowardly. So what, when Jesus says, I am meek, and Jesus said, blessed are the meek, what exactly is it that he means? Well, I'm going to answer that tonight. What I want to do for the next few minutes that we have is I want to paint a portrait of a meek person. What, a biblical portrait, not what the world thinks about meek people, but what the Bible thinks about or what the Bible says about meek people. Now, to do this, surprisingly, we're going to go back to Psalms 37. Going back to the Old Testament to do this. And you may say, well, why in the world are we going to go back to Psalms 37? Well, the reason is I want you to read Psalms 37, 11, and I want you to compare it to Matthew 5, 5. Psalms 37, 11 says this, but the meek shall inherit the land. And of course, Jesus in Matthew 5, 5 says the meek shall inherit the earth. Now, the reason I'm going back to Psalms 37 because Jesus is either quoting Psalms 37, 11, or at the very least, he's making an allusion to it. The, the wording is too close. It's too tight. I mean, the Greeks, I mean, the, the Jews would have known this, right? So he didn't have to give a lot of explanation. So what we want to do tonight is go back to Psalms 37. And if we read the 10 verses that come in, in front of verse 11 we should be able to give a, um, a, 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 a portrait or a picture of what a meek person is like. So let's read Psalms 37, 1 through 11. It says this, Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Don't be envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him, and He will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord. Wait patiently for Him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in His way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger. Forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, for it only tends to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. Psalm 37.11 tells us four things about a meek person. First and foremost, the meek trust God. 
the meek trust God. Look at Psalms 37.3. Trust in the Lord. Biblical meekness is first and foremost all about faith. It Being a meek person is grounded, founded in faith. It is, it is deeply rooted in this confidence that God is for you and not against you. Okay, that's the very first thing that we need to know about being biblically meek. The second thing we learn in Psalms 37 11 about meekness is this. The meek act on that faith by committing their ways to Him. Look at verse 5 and 6. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him and He will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. The Hebrew word for commit your ways literally means to roll. It, it, that's the word. It means to roll like a stone. Basically, what it's saying is take your, your relationships and your marriage and your money problems and your business, your business issues and, and all of these things and roll them on to Jesus. Roll them on to God. It's the same thing Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It's the same thing that Peter says. Cast your cares on him because he cares for you. I put a picture of the chair up there because there's this old analogy that you've heard a lot of preachers and teachers use about a chair. You can believe that a chair will hold you up. But if you really believe it, what will you do? You sit in it, right? See, when you really believe something, you act on it. Belief always leads to actions. You act on things you really believe in. If you really trust God, if you really have faith in God, if you really believe that God is for you, not against you, then the result of that is you will roll everything over onto Him. You will commit your ways to Him. The third thing that the meek do is once they've trusted God, once they've committed their ways to God, now the third thing they do is they patiently wait on God to act on their behalf. Look at Psalms 37, 7a. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Let me tell you what this means to me. This is one word. It's just freedom. I mentioned earlier that not only the being poor in spirit is the freedom to get off that treadmill of always trying to be good enough. And just stepping off and saying, okay, I got nothing. I give it all to you, Lord. This is a freedom here. It's always this freedom. It's, it's the freedom of this need to always try to vindicate yourself. Always try the, the need to take care of all your problems. When something comes in, all these challenges, I got to handle this. I got to handle this. I got to do that. This is just freedom. The freedom to step back and say, I'm going to wait on God to do it. The other thing about meek people is they have a stillness about them. Because they're trusting in God, because they've committed their ways to Him, because they're waiting on Him to act, it can be, things can be going chaotic around them, and they've just, they just got this stillness about them. Just waiting, waiting on God to do His thing. Why? Because they know that God is sovereign. Folks, they don't just hope He is. They just don't want Him to be. They know He is. They believe it to the deepest part of their soul. And therefore, they wait on Him. They know He's got it under control. They know, as Romans 8 says, that He's working all things out for their good. The fourth thing that Psalm 37 teaches us about the meek. Number one, they trust God. Number two, 
They, they roll out their cares. They roll their ways onto him. Number three, they wait patiently. And while they wait, they don't fret. They don't fret. Look at Psalms 37, 7, and 8. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. So here's the meek person, and what they're doing is they're just, they're just patiently waiting on God to work it out. But while they wait, there's no bitterness. There's no anger. There's no anxiousness and fretting and worry like a normal person. Because they, their God has got it all under control. So they don't, it doesn't produce those things. I'm going to give you a couple of examples. Let me give you Abraham. Y'all remember the story, I'm sure, Abraham and his nephew Lot, right? They, they leave the land of Ur. God calls Abraham and says, go to a land I'm going to show you. And they, they make their way all the way up to, uh, to Canaan, to the promised land. And uh, when they get there, uh, they're both, God's prospering them. Their families are growing. They, they got sheep and camels and all these other animals. And, and they finally come to a point where they need to separate. There's just, there's too many people and animals to feed off the same pasture and land. So Abraham comes to Lot and he says this in Genesis 13, 9. He says, is not the whole land before you. Separate yourself from me. If you take the left, then I'll go to the right. If you take the right, I'll go to the left. Now, Lot is the nephew, right? What Lot should have done is he should have said, Oh, no, uncle. No, no, no. You are the elder. You are my uncle. You're the one that God called here. You take the thank you. Thank you for your humility, but you take the first choice. That belongs to you. That's what Lot should have done. But that's not what Lot did. The Bible said Lot looked, lifted up his eyes. He looked to the east to the Jordan Valley and he saw the river and he saw the trees and he saw the grass and he saw the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. He saw all that. He said, yeah, I'll take that. And he just went. Now, the nice thing about this, and when you go read it, you never see Abraham think, man, that was dumb. I, I didn't think he was going to do that. You ever done that? Give somebody first choice, think they're never going to take it, and they just take it, and you're like, that was dumb, right? Why did I do that? He allows the younger man to, and in that culture, that just wasn't done, but he allows that younger man to take not only the first choice, but the better choice, and he does it. And when it happens, he doesn't worry, doesn't fret, doesn't get angry, doesn't whine, doesn't grumble, doesn't complain. None of these things. What does he do? He just sits back and he waits on God. He's not a coward. He's not a doormat. He's meek. He steps back and says, you know what? I could get angry. I could retaliate. I, couldn't, I could do all this stuff, but I'm going to let God handle it. And guess what? God did. In Genesis 13, 14, and 15, it says, The Lord said to Abraham after Lot had separated from him, Lift up your eyes, look to the north, to the west, to the south, and oh yeah, look to the east where your, where your nephew Lot went. Everything you see is yours. Not only is it yours, it's your descendants forever. See, he believed, he trusted that God would act on his behalf, and that's exactly what God did. Let me give you another example of, is of a man named Moses. In Numbers 12, 1 through 2, it says this, Miriam and Aaron, by the way, y'all know who Miriam and Aaron are? It says brother and sister. So his brother and sister spoke against Moses because he had married a Cushite woman. I have no clue, don't even really care why they were mad. They didn't want him to marry this woman. He did. 
they got angry and they basically started talking about amongst the people and saying, hey, is Moses the only one the Lord speaks through? Hadn't he spoke through us as well? Basically stabbing him in the back. And it says, and the Lord heard it. Now, right here, what would you expect Moses to do? Wouldn't you expect Moses to say, man, come on, were, were, were you the one going and talking to Pharaoh? Were you the one that, that, that stood there while the sea parted? Were you the one that, that went up on the mountain? Were you, you know, I mean, Moses could have said any number of things and put them in, his place, in their place. Watch what the scripture says. Right where you would expect Moses to justify himself. Watch what it says, verses 3 and 4. Now, the man Moses was very meek. Now, the man Moses was very meek. Let me tell you something about Moses. I've been reading through the book of Exodus. Moses was a man's man. When, when, if you go to Exodus chapter 2, Moses walks outside one day, sees two men fighting, one an Egyptian and one an Israelite. And, and most people nowadays, they see two men fighting. We, you know, I'm not getting involved in that, right? Well, Moses just wades right into it. And the Bible says he struck down the Egyptian and killed him. And, of course, he gets found out. He has to flee. In that same chapter, he goes to a land uh, called Midian. And he comes to a well, and there's these seven sisters that come to the well to water their flock. And when they would come, the men shepherds, the males, would run them off. And it says right there in Exodus 2, but Moses saved them. I mean, Moses just wades right into this situation that he's got nothing to do with, and he tells them men where they, what they can do with it, and he saves those women. Moses is not timid. Moses is not a coward. Moses is not a doormat. Moses is not weak, but Moses is meek. What does that mean? It means he doesn't have to defend himself. He doesn't have to, to make sure that everybody knows who he is and, and what he's done. He steps back. He trusts God. He casts all of this stuff on the God, and he waits, waits patiently for God to act on his behalf. And it says, Suddenly the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron and Miriam, Come out, you three, to the tent of meeting. And the three of them came out. So Moses, it's, it's never recorded that he said a word. Doesn't fret, doesn't get angry, doesn't grumble, doesn't complain. He just takes the criticism and he waits. He waits patiently on the Lord to act on his behalf. And by the way, God does. Verses 5 through 9, the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tent. He called Aaron and Miriam and he says, who do you think you are talking against my servant? And it says, when the cloud went back up, Miriam was leprous like snow. God had his back. That's what it means to be meek. It doesn't mean to be a doormat or a coward or weak or timid or any of those things. It means you could lash out, but you step back and you say, God, I choose, I choose to leave it to you. Now, I want to I bring something up here because I think this is important. Moses is meek. It means he trusts God to handle things. But do you remember when he went up on the mountain and he got the Ten Commandments? And he comes back down and the people were grumbling and complaining about where's Moses and, and Aaron makes him a golden calf. Y'all remember the story? And, and Moses comes down and he sees them dancing and, and, and worshiping this calf. And it says he got so angry that he threw those tablets down and broke them. Why was that okay? By the way, Jesus says, I'm meek, I'm lowly in heart. 
But he walks into that temple and he sees those, those money changers and he ain't playing, is he? Certainly he was angry on that day. So why is it okay to be angry at one point but not angry at another? William Barclay says this, Blessed are those who are always angry at the right time and never angry at the wrong time. <laughs> That's pretty good, but what does that even mean, right? What is the right time to be angry? Here's what he said. We can say as a general rule for life that it's never right to be angry for any insult or injury done to us. That is something no Christian must ever resent, but it is often right to be angry at injuries done to others. Selfish anger is a sin. Selfless anger can be one of the great moral dynamics of the world. I think that's exactly what you see with Moses. See, Moses, when the hurt was done to him, he didn't do anything. But when he came down that mountain and saw what they were doing to his God, that made him mad. Isn't Jesus the same way? They did all those things to him and said all those same things to him, never got angry, but when he walked, and saw what they did to his father's house, he got mad. See, selfish anger is a sin, but selfless anger, when you're angry at what's being done to your father, what's being done to the house of God, what's being done in the name of Christ, that's selfless. And he's right. That can be one of the great moral dynamics of the world. So this is our portrait of the meek so far. A meek person trusts God. They commit their ways to him. They wait on him to act. They don't fret or get angry or bitter or any of that stuff while they're waiting. They leave their vindication with God. Okay? Now, I want you to see that that is the opposite of being timid. Let me say this. A timid person doesn't trust God. A, a, a coward doesn't trust God. A doormat doesn't trust God. Timidity, in fact, comes from a lack of faith. But as I said, biblical meekness is rooted and grounded and based in a faith in a God who's got your back. It's about trusting, listen to me, meekness, biblical meekness is about trusting God to fight your battle for you instead of you having to fight your battle for yourself. That means when they gossip about you or they do things to hurt you or say whatever the case may be, everything in you wants to vindicate yourself. The meek person steps back and says, I choose not to. I choose to let God handle this. That's painful. It's not easy. Nobody said it would be easy, but that's biblical meekness. I want to give you two more things I want to add to our portrait very quickly about meekness. I want to go to the book of James. James 1, 19 to 21 says this, Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word. Now, that's odd, right? It says when you hear the Bible, when you hear it taught like tonight or you hear it preached on a Sunday morning, it says receive the word with meekness. Now, why in the world would you need meekness to receive the word of God? Well, here's why. James has in mind two people, okay? The first person he has in mind is a person that's quick to speak. Y'all know anybody that's quick to speak? It's all about me, right? They're slow to listen. They're just wanting you to shut up so they can start talking and tell you what they got to say, right? They're, they're, they're quick to speak. They're slow to listen. They really don't care what you got to say. It's, you know, just get back to me here so I can let you know how things are. 
By the way, this type of person is easily angered. If you say something that uh, uh, comes against them, maybe if you say something uh, in contrast to the way they believe, or if you say something about their actions that they, you know, where you cross them, they don't like that. They easily get angered. But then there's another person that uh, James is thinking of here, and this person is slow to speak. They're, they're, they're a much better listener. They're not, they don't have to get their opinion out there. And they actually do care what you have to say. And this person, if you were to say something, um, you have a different opinion than them or something, they don't get angry. They don't, they don't do that way. But here's the thing. Do you understand that's what the Word of God does every single day to people? You see, it's not another person necessarily coming to you and saying, you're wrong. Your behavior's wrong. But you open that Word of God and it's staring you right in the face saying, you're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. And it says, receive that with meekness. Don't be slow to, don't be easily angered when the Bible comes against that. The Bible says, hey, this is wrong, and you don't think it's wrong. Receive it with meekness. Believe in the fact that, okay, I, I could lash out here. I could try to do it my own way, but I'm going to step back and trust that God is right. I'm going to receive his word with meekness. So if I added that to our portrait of the meek, I would call that teachable. So not only do they trust God, not only do they commit their ways to God, not only do they wait on him and don't fret or get angry while they're waiting, not only do they leave their vindication to him, but they're teachable. I'm going to give you one more from the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 6, 1 through 2. Brothers, if a man is overtaken in any trespass... You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of meekness. Look to yourself, lest you too be tempted. What is Paul saying here? Meekness is being slow to speak, but sometimes you have to speak, right? There's a, the, the case that he's using here in Galatians is there's somebody in the body that's been overtaken in sin. They're, they're in the midst of sin. And the idea is that somebody should go to them. Somebody should, should approach them. Somebody should come to them and try to restore them. But he says, when you do that, make sure you do it with meekness. What does that mean? That means you don't walk in there holier than thou, but you go in there knowing that except for the grace of God, you could fall right into the same thing. So you have to do it because God tells you, but you know, okay, God, I'm doing this, but I need you to handle it. I need you to bring conviction. I need you to give me the wisdom. I need you to give me the words to say because if it was up to me, I'd fall into the same thing. So even when we have to speak, we do it with meekness. So this is our portrait of a meek person. They trust God, commit their ways to Him. They wait on Him. They don't fret or anger or get bitter while they're waiting. They leave their vindication to God. They're teachable, and I'll just call it they're self-aware. They're, they're aware of their own fallibility when it comes to the Word and when it comes to God. Listen, if you're a Christian, this is what we were created for. We're not created to be like the world. We're created to be different. We're not created to do it the way everybody else does it. We're created to be different. The question is, do you trust God enough to let Him handle it? There's a really interesting thing and it seems like, I, I, like I said, I, I try to stay away from Greek word searches and all that kind of stuff, but sometimes it's just so interesting, I can't help it. The, the Greek word that's used for meek 
is the, is the root word praus, P-R-A-U-S. And in the Greek of all things, it means a soft breeze or a trained animal. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those that are like a soft breeze. Blessed are those that are like a, a trained animal. Now, what, what in the world does that mean? Well, I, it's pretty simple, right? Think about that hurricane. I've been watching some videos and looking at all the damage. You know, on the left, it's the same wind, right? It's the same wind. But on one hand, it's controlled. And it's nice, and it, it's, it, it just brings pleasure to everybody. And then on the other hand, it's out of control. And what does it bring? It brings chaos. It brings absolute chaos and damage. Same thing with an animal. On one hand, you can take a trained animal, and they're gentle, and you could put a little child on them. But the same exact animal can be out of control. That's the idea of this. Work, of this. It's not just being gentle, but it's being self-controlled. Self-controlled enough not to have to lash out with everything I have just so I'm going to be vindicated, but to be able to trust God. In fact, let me show this to you. Psalms 37, 7 and 8. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil. Refrain from anger, forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, and watch what it says, it tends only to evil. That's what happens when you try to do it. When you try to solve the situation, guess what happens? You just make it worse. If, if, if Abraham would have tried to solve that situation with Lot, he'd have probably fractured that relationship. Moses, the same way. If he'd have tried to deal with Miriam and, and, and uh, Aaron, no telling the damage he would have done. But both of those men stepped back and they let God vindicate them. So you can do it your way and you can create evil or you can be meek. You can be the ones who step back, let God do it. And God, when God does it, folks, he does it right. He does it right. Meekness is what characterizes the citizens of the kingdom of God. It's men and women who are not running around trying to get their due, running around trying to defend themselves. They're trusting God. They're, they're committing all their ways to Him, not just their, their marriage and their family and their children and their, their jobs and their careers and their finances and, and all the things that go with it. They just commit it to Him. And when challenges and obstacles and things come into their life, they, don't, they wait on Him to do it. They don't fret. They don't try to vindicate themselves. They remain teachable and self-aware of their own fallibility. Jesus said this, Blessed are men and women like that, for they shall inherit the earth. Psalms 37, 10 and 11. I'll read it one more time. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. In just a little while, all the stuff you read in the newspaper and it gets you so upset, in just a little while, it'll be no more. But the meek, the meek the ones are the ones that's going to last. Everything you see, is going to be burned up, recreated in perfection, and you get it. You inherit it. Why is it that as Christians we should need the temporary vain pleasure of vindicating ourselves? Why do we need that so bad? When God has already promised that the whole earth is going to be ours. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for this incredible uh, beatitude. God, we just admit tonight that this is not easy. 
uh, for us not to assert ourselves and try to vindicate ourselves and, and handle things ourselves is one of the hardest things that we'll ever have to do. But God, we believe that we're new creations. We believe that you have created characteristics inside of us that we didn't have before we were born again. And one of those characteristics is gentleness and meekness. And God, I just pray that if we would begin to walk in this, this whole church would be completely different. This whole county would be completely different. People would flock, flocked to be a part of what's going on here. But God, we have to trust you first and foremost. We have to put our faith in you. We have to trust that you've got our back. Father, I pray tonight if there's anybody here that's going through turmoil in their life, and I know there is, we, we all have it. If somebody here has got relationships that there's things going on, if they've got in their finances, they've got situations where people are doing things to them, God, I pray tonight, I pray tonight, God, that you would somehow take this word and just magnify the spirit of meekness that characteristic of meekness and gentleness in their life, that, God, you would give them the faith tonight to step back, to let go, and let you take control because you will get justice for us. You will get justice for us if we just give you the ability. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to this message from River of Life. If this message has touched you today, or if you need someone to pray with, please contact us at 850-926-1200 or email us at info at rolcrawfordville.com. We also want to encourage you to visit us this Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. in Crawfordville. Please visit us online at rolcrawfordville.com for more information and directions.